song that the choir just sung and Doug led us in, Because of Who You Are, and that's the basis of the series that we are concluding today, Simply Amazing. We can talk about amazing grace for one reason and one reason only, because there is amazing God who is the God of all grace. Aren't you grateful for that? To know that the heart of God is a heart of grace. He is a God of all grace. And grace is also the basis for our offering today. I told you if you're our guest, maybe you've been with us just recently, this Sunday is a Sunday that we set aside for our Jehovah Jireh offering. And it is to celebrate the grace of God as we bring our offering to Him. And we are always reminded that when we give to God, we are really giving to God what He's given to us. Because the earth is the Lord's and all that contains and all those who dwell in it. And so as we give to God, we're giving to the one who, whose it is. And we experience this gracious God who gives us all things richly to enjoy. And don't you know that our God is not a cosmic killjoy. But he delights for his children to enjoy all the benefits that he so richly gives and we are blessed as we give and blessed to see him return to us. And so we give today out of a re recognition of God's amazing grace. The Lord provides for us so that we can give. And as we give, we provide for his ministry. And we provide for others. And then our, our wonderful privilege is to experience his grace through giving. You see, the Bible tells us, as we looked last week, that as we abound in every expression of grace, let's abound in this grace also. Giving is a grace from God. Last week, as we talked about the grace of giving, I thought it would be good this week, as we do give our offering, to think today of giving in this way, the greatest grace, the greatest gift, the greatest giving is the grace for forgiving. There is no giving like forgiving. And ultimately, that's how God's grace is shown to us in forgiving us. And that is how in the ultimate expression we show the grace of God as we forgive, even as we have been forgiven. And so this morning, I want us to think about the grace for forgiving. And we've turned here to one of the smallest books in the Bible, but it's with one of the greatest messages. This little book of Philemon, again, if you want to call it a book, it's really just a short story. It's one chapter, as Damon said. It's only 335 words. 335 words, but it is a treasure chest. It's filled with grace. It's filled with giving. It's filled with grace for forgiving. And I'm praying that on this Sunday of giving, that all of us here will know the grace of forgiveness in Jesus Christ, 
and know the grace in our own hearts of being forgiving people. Now, I had you turn to Philemon because that is what this book is all about, the grace for forgiving. And so let's just look at this, first of all, as, as it is a beautiful story. Uh, these are real life events that took place in real people. It's a beautiful story of forgiveness. I just want us to walk through for a minute or two this lovely letter and notice, if you would, how it begins. It begins with Paul sharing praise and thanksgiving for his friend and brother Philemon. It begins there with Paul sharing praise and thanksgiving for his brother Philemon. And that's verses 1 through 7. Now, we won't read all those verses. We'll refer to some of them. But let's just, as we begin looking at this short story, let's make sure we understand the context and the characters and the storyline. All right? The context is this. When Paul takes up Quill, or really perhaps someone is writing for him, as we'll see in a few minutes, as he begins this letter, it's a personal letter written to Philemon, and Paul is in Rome, and he is under house arrest. If you wanted to place this letter in the New Testament, you would place it at the end of the book of Acts. Because the end of the book of Acts tells us that Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He has appealed his case in Israel... And he's been charged with insurrection against the Roman government. And he has appealed to Caesar because he is a Roman citizen and he has right to do that. And so now he has made this long, long journey. He is in Rome. He is under guard, but he is allowed to have a rented house and he's allowed, allowed to uh, see friends and to share the gospel within that living arrangement. And so people are coming to talk with Paul and Paul's sharing with them. He's in Rome and we see in verse 1 that Timothy is with him, his trusted associate. And he also has some other fellow workers with him. If you look at verses 23 and 24, there's other people that are with Paul in Rome. He's there with Epaphras. He calls my fellow prisoner. Evidently, Epaphras was also under some kind of arrest. He sends greetings. He's there with Mark. This is John Mark. And John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark, a human author. Uh, Paul had not wanted to use him in the ministry because he had turned back once before. And he and his friend Barnabas had a falling out over Mark. But now Mark has... Grown in the Lord, he's dependable, and now Paul has him back in ministry with him there in Rome. There's another man by the name of Aristarchus that's with Paul. At this time, Demas is with Paul, who's faithfully serving the Lord. Sadly, the next time we read about Demas is in 2 Timothy when Paul is under his second arrest, and he is really under a death penalty Demas forsakes the Apostle Paul and leaves him. But at this time, he's faithful. He's there with Paul. And then Paul has his beloved friend and physician, Luke, with him. And Luke is the author of the Gospel of Luke. And he's also the human author of the book of Acts. 
He's Paul's associate and Paul's beloved personal physician. So Paul is there in Rome. He is sending this letter all the way across a good portion of the Roman Empire to western Turkey to the city of Colossae. And he is sending this letter by the hand of Tychicus. Tychicus. And there is someone accompanying Tychicus as he takes this letter, and the man's name is Onesimus, and he's a key figure in this story. We'll talk about him just in a moment. But Tychicus is carrying the letter, and as a matter of fact, Tychicus is quite the mailman, because we read about him in Ephesians and Colossians, and his, he makes this journey from Rome to Colossae, Tychicus is carrying three letters in his pouch. Do you know what three letters he's carrying? He's carrying Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now, how would you like to have that mail around? Okay. I'm sure he was just a little bit tense about it. Maybe put the satchel under his head at night, had it wrapped around his arm. He's carrying three letters, which will become three books of the New Testament. And he has with him a man by the name of Onesimus. Now, this letter is not a letter to a church, though it is to be read to a church. It is a letter to a personal friend. It's a letter to Philemon. You see that Paul is a prisoner. He's writing to his brother, verse 1, Philemon. Philemon means loving. Loving. Comes from the verb phileo. We get our word uh, Philadelphia that comes from that. It means he's loving. Maybe this was his name or he took the name or was given the name as a Christian. And Paul greets him. He also greets Iphia, our sister, who is probably the wife of Philemon. And he also greets Archippus, who's probably the son of Philemon and Iphia. He calls Archippus a soldier of the Lord. He's a, evidently a young man who has now committed his life to the Lord. And he's serving the Lord. And interesting, he says, to the church in your house. And so we know this about Philemon. What do we know? He was a man of enough wealth that his house was large enough to host a, a church gathering. And the church is meeting in his house. Now, after these sincere words of praise and thanksgiving, Paul gets to the heart of his message. And the heart of his message is a heartfelt plea for forgiveness and reconciliation toward Onesimus. He is writing to Philemon, his brother in the Lord, and he is saying, I want you to forgive and be reconciled with this man, Onesimus. Now, who is Onesimus? Well, we know that Onesimus is the object of Paul's love. Paul dearly loves this man. He, he writes about him beginning in verse 8. He says, accordingly, accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you, he could command Philemon to forgive and be reconciled to 
Onesimus, but he doesn't. He said, I appeal to you to a higher standard. There's something higher and more powerful than law. You know what it is? Love. For love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, I'm a prisoner also for Jesus Christ. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, what does this have to do with Philemon? Verse 11. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Now, what is going on here? Onesimus is a runaway slave. He is a bond slave, has been a bond slave to Philemon. He has, he has served in Philemon's house. Maybe he is serving for a number of years. Maybe he has been born into that household, but he is a bond servant and he has run away from his master. And not just run away, but as we'll see, evidently has taken some money with him. And he has gotten on a ship and sailed across the Mediterranean. He has come to Rome to lose himself in the masses of Rome. But how many of you know God is in the details, right? And so while he is in Rome, somehow he comes in contact with the Apostle Paul. We're not told how it happened. But remember, Paul has been in Philemon's house before. He has met Onesimus. Onesimus was a servant in the house of Philemon. And they meet together there in Rome. And Paul, through the gospel of the Lord, sees Onesimus come to faith in Jesus Christ. So this runaway slave who goes to Rome to lose himself from his master, is introduced to the greatest master, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now Paul is writing to Philemon. He's sending Onesimus back. He says, Onesimus is the object of my love. And it's interesting, Paul is so brilliant in the way he coins a phrase. He says, I'm sending Onesimus to you, verse 10. You know what Onesimus means? Useful. Useful. I'm sending Onesimus back to you, who I've become his father in prison. Formerly, he was useless to you. (laughs) He ran away and he robbed you, but now he's changed And he is really Onesimus now. He's useful to you and he's useful to me. Isn't that brilliant the way Paul uses Onesimus' name to even get this message across? Onesimus is an object of Paul's love. But now here's what I want you to see. Onesimus is an object lesson of love of gospel love. He is more than just 
a runaway slave who has become a believer. He's now an object lesson of what love of Christ can do in somebody's heart. And Paul shares four reasons, four reasons that he wants Philemon to receive Onesimus back again. He says, number one, Onesimus is a changed man. He is not who he used to be. He has come to faith. He has become my child in my imprisonment. He used to be useless to you, but now he's useful because he's a changed man. His life has been transformed by the grace of God. Aren't you delighted that there's a God who doesn't just believe in recovery? He believes and practices renewal and transformation. So that what a person is in their bondage and in their addictive lifestyle, they can be so changed that they are not who they used to be. They are born again. <laughs> Changed. He says, I'm sending him back. He's not the same Onesimus who left. He's a changed man by the power of the gospel. And Paul says another reason. He's sending him back and has a message for Philemon. He says... That Onesimus and Philemon now have a changed relationship. Your relationship has been changed. He was your servant. You were his master. He was a, a runaway servant. He was a criminal, you could say. But now you have a changed relationship. Verse 11. He was useless. Now he's useful. I'm sending him back to you. Sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord. Paul says, I could order you as your father in the faith, I could command you as an apostle of Jesus Christ to send this man back to me. But I'm giving you an opportunity to rise up above obedience to the law and give your heart to the love of Christ. And send this brother back because you have a changed relationship. No longer is it the servant-master relationship. It's the brother-brother relationship. You see, the Lord not only changes lives, He changes relationships. Don't you give up on your family. The Lord changes families. Don't you give up on your marriage. God transforms marriage. Don't you give up on your family don't you give up on your community where sin has abounded. The grace of God superabounds. Don't give up. 
He changes relationships. So Paul says he's a changed man. You now have a changed relationship. Thirdly, Paul says this. If Onesimus has wronged you or owes you anything, charge it to me. Charge it to me. Look at verse 18. He says, if he has wronged you at all or he owes you anything, Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. So here you can see Paul, who evidently had some form of eye malady, an eye disease. He said to the Galatians, you so loved me, if it had been possible, you would have taken your eyes out and given them to me. And sometimes Paul would sign his letters and he would say, you see what big letters I use. Paul says, I will repay it. And like he's signing an IOU, he says, hey, Tychicus, give me that quill. I will repay it, Paul the Apostle. I will repay it. And then you've got to love Paul. To say nothing of you owing even your own self to me. <laughs> Don't you love Paul? He will repay it, but gladly repay it. But let me remind you. You owe your life to me, too, just like Onesimus, because you are my son in the faith, too. And I want my two sons to be reconciled. Charge it to me. And then Paul says a fourth thing. He says he has confidence in Philemon's compassionate heart. He says, I know you. And I know that you have legal right to punish Onesimus. I know that you could take your stand and you could stand your ground and you could take him to court and you could punish him. As a matter of fact, by Roman law, he could punish him with death. He says, I know your heart. Verse 20. Yes, brother. I want some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart. Confident in your obedience, I write to you, not knowing that you will do even more than I say. And here again, Paul is so wonderful in the way he uses the words. He says, yes, brother, verse 20, I want some benefit from you. You know what the word benefit there is? Onesimus. It's just another form of the word Onesimus. I want you to give some Onesimus to me. Refresh my heart. I write knowing that you will do even more than I say. Now, before we go on just for a moment, let me make a side note here. And I do think it's an important side note. It's not a rabbit trail. I won't be gone down it long, okay? So don't go down too far. But take a little side step with me. Paul's letter here, listen carefully, is not as some people have wrongly accused. It is not a justification of slavery. It is not a justification of slavery. Paul and his ministry 
was carried out in the Roman Empire, at least one-third of the citizens of the Roman Empire were in some form of servitude. Now, it was a different kind of servitude for the most part than when we think about slavery. I'll say a word about that in a moment. Many people were indentured servants because of their debts, and they might be working for a period of years to work off their debts. Some were bond servants, that is, they were hired servants, and they stayed with the household, and they had family born into the household. There were some slaves who were taken as captives from the Roman wars around the empire, and rather than execution, they were sold as slaves, and some of those people were slaves. But Paul here is not writing a justification of slavery. He's not writing a justification of slavery. As a matter of fact, what we think about as slavery, Paul condemned in the highest words possible. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, where Paul expresses God's wrath against the most abominable sins. You know what he mentions in the middle of that list? Slaving. Man-stealing. Kidnapping. And that is exactly, listen carefully, church, that is what the slavery of Britain, the British Empire, the Portuguese Empire, and the slavery that was practiced in the United States was kidnapping, where people were stolen from their land, were put in squalor beyond imagination, loaded on ships, hauled away, sold into slavery, family sold away. It was kidnapping. And that was a crime in the Old Testament punishable by death. And Paul said, slaving is one of the most abominable sins. No one can justify what we think and have thought of in our heritage as slavery on the word of God. It has always been an abominable evil. Paul's not justifying slavery. As a matter of fact, you know what Paul is doing here? He's not giving a justification for slavery. He is bringing the destruction of slavery. Not from the outside by legal law, but from inside by changing the heart. He is telling a slave owner, this man is an image bearer of God and he is now your brother in Jesus Christ. And in Jesus Christ, the change of the heart makes no longer the master-slave, but the brother-brother relationship. Friends, it is this heart, it's this letter, it's the spirit of Christianity that destroys slavery from the inside out. You cannot live by the golden rule and enslave people, carry them off, kidnap, sell away families, you cannot do unto others as you would have them do unto you and practice such abomination. Don't want anyone ever 
tell you that the New Testament justifies slavery. The New Testament began in a culture of slavery, but it began to stop slavery by the transformation of human hearts. That was an aside. (laughs) So what do I want you to see here? I want you to see that the spiritual principle of forgiveness is here. Because if we're not careful, here's what we do. We read Philemon and we say, isn't that a great story? That is a great story. And wasn't it nice of God to include it in his Bible? No. It's so much more than that. You see, there's a spiritual principle involved here. It's the principle of forgiveness. You see, you cannot understand this letter, listen carefully, unless you read yourself into it. Unless you read yourself into it. You can't understand Philemon. You can't walk out here today with the message of the Lord from this service unless you walk out thinking of yourself as Onesimus and Philemon. What do I mean by that? First of all, we must think of ourselves as Onesimus because of what Jesus did for us. He Paid our debt. He paid our debt. Look at verse 18. This is gospel language. If there's any gospel language in the New Testament, here's gospel language. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. That is the language of justification. What is justification? When the virtue and the righteousness and the incredible worth of the Son of God is placed to the account of someone who is a sinner against God, that is justification. This is Calvary accounting. If you want to write something in your Bible, you might want to write in next to verse 18, Calvary accounting. Paul says, put that to my account. I will pay for Onesimus' crime. I will do it. Put that to my account. And friend, that is Calvary accounting. Because here's what Jesus did. Jesus said, Lord, take her sin." Take his sin. Take all their sins and put it to my account. And you put my righteousness to their account. That's the reason we can be accepted by God. Because the debt has been paid, paid in full by someone Worthy enough and wealthy enough to pay the debt of our sins. Only one could do it. Jesus Christ. And he is so wealthy in righteousness. And so worthy in his incredible worth. 
that your sins having been put on him, his righteousness is given to you and you stand before the God of heaven and earth, not guilty, justified. That is Calvary accounting. And friend, that's the gospel. It is grace alone through faith alone. And when you believe that, when you believe that Christ took your debt and paid your debt on the cross, and when you cry out to him in faith believing, asking for his mercy, in that moment, you're not just forgiven, you are declared not guilty forever. Are you hearing me, church? Has this happened to you? Do you know what I'm talking about? You are Onesimus. I am Onesimus. Because Jesus said, put that to my account. And then the second thing is Philemon. Who we are because of Jesus, we are slaves set free. We have been set free. We've been set free. Yes, we are Onesimus, but we have been set free. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. Redeemed, what does that mean? Purchased. Literally, the word redeemed, it's a beautiful word. You know what it is? It means purchased in the marketplace and set free. Ekadzagradzo. Purchased in the marketplace and set free. My friend, what did Jesus say his mission was? He said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as what? A ransom for many. Paid in full. Why did Jesus purchase us so that we could be slaves? No. So that we could be free. He's the great emancipator. And we're freed. And we're not just freed slaves, but now in Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. We're adopted into the family. This is what it means to be Onesimus. And through your dear master, Philemon, who pays the price, takes the debt, sets someone free. What a gift. Charge that to my account. just as it is a gift priceless to be forgiven then this final thought for you my friend before our offering listen carefully it is priceless to forgive this is a beautiful story of forgiveness and Philemon teaches us this story teaches us this story teaches us the spiritual principle of forgiveness put that to my account I will pay it in full. Let him go free.
But Philemon, this letter, also calls us to a personal decision for forgiveness. A personal decision for forgiveness. Paul had such confidence in Philemon. He says, I could command you, but I know what you'll do. You'll do even more than I say because your heart is a forgiven heart. And because you have been forgiven, I know you're going to forgive. And that's true of every person here who is a Christian. If you are a Christian, let me tell you something about yourself today. If you are a Christian, you are Onesimus. You were a runaway. A runaway from the Lord. <laughs> and guess what? I don't know how he did it, but somehow he ran you down and turned your heart to the Father, and you turned, and the one you were running from, you ran to, and you found in the Father not a judge who would punish you, but a Father who would welcome you and celebrate you. You are Onesimus if you're a Christian, and you listen, you can be a Philemon. You can be a Philemon. You can forgive. You are no more like the Heavenly Father than when you forgive. And you are no more like Jesus than when you take the debt that someone owes you, the wrong someone's done to you, the abuse someone has heaped on you. And you let them go free. That's as much like Jesus as you can ever be in this world. You are Onesimus. You can be Philemon. Here's the question, church. Here's a question to you. I'm asking you and I'm asking me. Will you? Will you? You know what the word forgiveness means? Do you know what it means? Some people, I think, get so hung up because they don't understand the meaning of the word. What's forgiveness mean? has nothing to do with feelings. Feelings are associated with it, but that's not the heart of it. has nothing to do with forgetting. Some people say, well, I can forgive, but I can't forget. You know, excuse me, but usually that's just a fig leaf trying to hide a... A heart that wants to hold on to something. But I want to tell you something. When did God ever say you had to forget? You know, someone says, I can forgive, but I can't forget. Well, guess what? Forget about it. <laughs> forget about forgetting. You don't have to. You don't have to go into denial in order to forgive someone because of what the word forgive means. You know what it means? It means this. To release someone. It means to release someone who owes you. Release. The only thing that keeps us from forgiving is a clenched fist in our heart. 
you say, well, you just don't understand, Sam, what was done to me. You can't even imagine what has been done to me. I might be a little closer to that than you think. But I want to tell you something. I know about you and I know about me. No one has come close to doing to me what I did to Jesus. And that's where forgiveness starts. What's the basis of forgiveness? Somebody asks you? No. Did they ask Jesus forgiveness when he said, Father, forgive them? They don't know what to do. They know what they're doing. Did Stephen ask forgiveness for those who were beating his brains out? Did they have to ask his forgiveness? He said, don't, don't lay it to their charge. Why do you forgive someone? Because they're sorry? Maybe they're never sorry. Do you forgive someone because you see them going through a hard time and it seems like God's convicting them and you know they're miserable and it's all about you? No, they're as happy as can be. They're putting postings on Facebook of what a great life they live. You're miserable and they're having the time of their life. And you're going to forgive them? What's forgiveness based on? One thing. Ephesians 4.32 Be tenderhearted, kind one to another, forgiving one another. Why? Because God for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. You forgive because you've been forgiven. You let go. Now, in a moment, we're going to have an offering. I'm going to challenge you. Some of you here, you're going to come and you're going to let go. You're going to let go. If you don't let go of that offering envelope, I'm going to get up and take it out of your hand. Okay? <laughs> you're going to let go. That's how you're going to give the offering. You're going to let go of it. And I want to encourage you this. You come up here thinking of people who have wronged you. And make this your offering today as well. Lord, I, for Christ's sake, let them go. I let it go. And can you imagine to be able to look back at Thanksgiving 2019 and have a marker in your mind when you deliberately said, I let them go. And the next time the devil comes and reminds you of what they did, you know what you can do? You can put the old gospel judo on him. You can say this. You say, what's gospel judo? It's this. Thank you, Satan. For reminding me of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. How he gave me the ability to let go of that sin against me. I appreciate you, Satan, helping me to draw nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And celebrate that today. Thank you, Satan. You've helped me greatly today. I'll tell you what. He'll try another tactic. Put the old gospel judo on him. And say, thank you. They did do that. They did say that. They did that to me. But through Jesus, I let him go. For his sake. Father, thank you for this time to give offering. 
And Lord, we come, every Christian that comes, we come as Onesimus. Thank you, you freed us. Thank you. All of our sin was put to your account, Lord Jesus. And now, Lord God, as we release these gifts, may we be truly Philemon, we release. Because we ourselves have been forgiven. Bless this season now and this moment to our hearts as we sing and worship and as we give. In Jesus' name, amen.